Well, hello everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now I invite you to settle in and let's find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies. And our time together here is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, so let's get started. This week's teaching theme is called the spiritual wilderness. So I'm focusing the podcast subject on this as well. Now, why am I speaking about this today? Because so many of you that follow me, you are on the same, on a similar path that I am. You are journeying through this spiritual but not religious path. And you most likely navigated through religion, through Christianity specifically. And perhaps like me, you spiraled out of organized religion because that experience no longer could be the container for your spirituality. And maybe you are harboring some form of unhealed religious trauma. But since leaving, you may feel like you're floundering. What we call this, okay, I left church, now what phase? of your spiritual journey. And this can be very unsettling. I can tell you for myself as well that it certainly felt that way. It almost feels wrong. It almost feels that you are in a place where you don't belong, yet you have no option. You don't know where to turn. Now, the data shows that a lot of people will risk staying in this this spiritual wilderness, this now what phase, then risk returning because the risk of returning is too great. That risk is associated to how you live your life, how you show up in the world, how you relate to people around you. Because oftentimes what happens when you are leaving the church, something inside the church gives you pause about what you really believe. It just no longer resonates with you. So the data shows a lot of reasons why we left, and I'm not going to get sidetracked about that. We might do an entire podcast on this sometimes, and I always share the data. If you actually read one half of the show notes that I typically pin with what I, the research that I do for these podcasts, it truly means that you are on a path of learning, a path of wanting to take responsibility for your spirituality. Well, I think this one is like a page and a half long because I did so much research to offer you enough resources to help you on this journey because I understand what the spiritual wilderness means to you. Now, this, and that's such a much bigger, bigger topic, but it has so much, there's such a trickle down into our lives about why you leave and why you are where you are right now. And I've seen it so many times. So there's this paradox, like I said, and it's this, it's this spiritual void that you might feel that really feels palpable. And that paradox feels like this. Now you are out here in this vast spiritual wilderness and it might feel uncomfortable, but at the same time, it feels loving. It might feel strange, and at the same time, it feels peaceful. It might feel unsettling, but at the same time, incredibly welcoming. At least for me, it felt like that, where this was a place where I always I always belonged. Because nothing inside church was serving this soul that needed to be nourished in ways the church could not or 
would not provide. So what ends up happening, we become disenchanted and we decide we're going to take a leap of faith and move into this spiritual into this spiritual wilderness. Now, like I said, there's a lot of unbiased data. There's, and what I mean by unbiased data, this these are research centers that are looking at this from a perspective of a, a secular perspective, if you will. This These thoughts on faith and our faith life and our spirituality from a place that impacts the entire nation and the world, not just your specific belief system. So a lot of times um, different denominations will have some kind of research research, but it's always going to be skewed to their biases, to their prejudices, and to their beliefs. That's understandable. They're trying to understand inside their belief system or their denomination why people are leaving their church. But to really get a good perspective of what's happening, we have to look at this unbiased data. But spending a little time with this biased data, you'll see sometimes people will say, well, People are leaving church because they don't want to be inconvenienced with the truth of the gospel. Or people are leaving church because they want to seek spiritual light, because spirituality inside the church is just too hard. It's too account- it's too hard for the per- person to be accountable at that level. Or church is just inconvenient because there's so many distractions. Or they never got... Um, committed after they became adults and there were too many other things that were pulling at their time. I found it interesting that um, in on one website, I found that they were saying that people fall away after high school when they go to college and they meet godless professors. I have a real problem with that saying, godless professors, because first of all, that's not the truth in so many cases, what ends up happening a lot of times is that it there there comes a, a place where there's a spiritual conflict because once you leave your your roots where maybe you were just exposed to one kind of thinking, one kind of person that looked like, loved like, believed like, went through life like you did, then you you didn't understand the vastness of humanity. So when you get onto a, maybe a college campus or you go into a, another job or you learn different experiences, you realize that the very people that you have been taught to condemn to hell are actually really good people. And then all of a sudden this spiritual conflict arises in you that says, do I really believe that just because this person doesn't look like or doesn't love like I do, that they're going to hell? So I think it's, it's not so much about quote, godless professors, as it is about the human experience that invites us to take a look at what we believe. And so especially when you look at the millennials and the Gen X and the Gen Zs, I think you're starting to see people reconciling their spirituality from a place that offers a wider table uh, to the to the entirety of, to entirety of humanity, and they see no conflict in that. And I agree with them. So what I did find when I when I was doing this research was an article that's actually several years ago, uh, several years old. And a lot of times when I'm doing this kind of research, I stay away from things that are maybe 5, 10, 15 years old because they start to not have relevance. But this one was for, from several years ago, and I'll put a link in the show notes. It's from an, uh, an article in Christianity Today. And what they said about people leaving is that it's not the spiritually immature that are leaving. 
It's the spiritually mature. And I found this very interesting, especially coming from a Christian-based research research data. But what they said is they're saying there's basically four levels of faith, four levels of your faith walk or your spirituality. And the first three, they this the, the research concluded that the church holds really well. So you get this re- recognition of God. That's the first level. And when you get this recognition of some kind of ha- higher power, you're, lo- you're, you're looking for answers. You're looking for community. You're looking for people who can help you, f- help guide you on this new path. So the church is able to provide that, that foundation. The second is called the life of discipleship. Now these, the, again, these four stages of faith are from this research. I'm not saying I agree with all of them, but they do make sense inside the Christian inside the context of a Christian, the Christian church. So the second one is called the life of discipleship. And discipleship would mean how you serve. How can you move into a place of servitude so that your belief starts to show outwardly in the actions that you do? So the third stage is really where you start to move into not just serving, but an active life. It's called the productive life. And there, you're looking for ways out in outside of what is your, where you've been cocooning inside uh, the church. You're looking to move outward in leadership. You're ready to profess some the things that you believe because you can confidently talk about it because it resonates with you. But what this research said is there's a fourth stage and it's called the journey inward. And I quote, it says, these authors suggest that at some point, our faith shifts focus from the externals of discipleship and service and begins to become internalized. And we begin to redefine, we begin to redefine our impressions of the faith and to some degree, even our theology as we mature. I have to say, there's a, there's a saying in Christianity that says your spirit leaps. When you hear something that really resonates with your soul, my spirit leapt. When I, when I read this, it's like the first time I heard somebody recognizing the fact that there is a, a spiritual maturity that can happen that maybe the church church proper is ignoring. I go on and say more about the article. It says the fourth stage is where this author's experience reveals the church's weakness. Now, speaking in generalities, it says the churches do not specialize in people who have been following Christ for years and who are deeply questioning and re-examining their beliefs. I'm grazing my hand right now, and I can think of hundreds of people who have reached out to me, hundreds of people who understand that at this point in their faith walk, in their spiritual journey, that questioning and that re-examining, that place where you want to go deeper, was actually discouraged. I don't know how many times I was told that my questions actually showed that I was filled with doubt, that I had a weak spiritual walk, that I was being offended if I wanted someone to be, that I had a spirit offense if I was demanding that someone who was in leadership to show up accountable to the rest of the congregation. It always came back that I was doing something wrong. And trust me when I say I wasn't perfect. 
inside the church, but this resonated with me so deeply because I see it so often in so many people's uh, experiences inside the church. So I felt that this was the first, this, this was, a, this has been largely ignored inside the church because what I'm seeing and when I was written, again, these links are all in the show notes, what I saw over and over and over again, when there are, were articles written about people, why they leave church, it was about making sure that you reinforce the congregation understanding more about apologetics. And apologetics is really just defending the faith. Apologetics means that you know your the Bible well enough that you can hurl scripture at anybody anytime to convict them and show them that they need to be following the way you believe is the right way to believe. And I can tell you that's not ending well. When it happens in my comments, on anything I post or in my videos, there's a huge backlash. People are not accepting that. So I don't know what it's gonna take for the church to actually hear that this, this model is not working, but the data keeps suggesting that it is. So by and large, I believe that a lot of people who are leaving the church and, and identifying more with the spiritual but not religious path are spiritually mature. And instead of embracing that maturity, the church keeps repeating these old repetitive patterns where they're focusing on discipleship, they're focusing on commitment to the church and loyalty to the church. That is more important than developing the individual's spiritual growth. So I remember one time in the middle of when I was deep in, in leadership at one church, one of the pastors saying that on a Sunday where they were getting ready to do a lot of work, that if anybody had time this week to play video games, then they had time to volunteer at the church. And I just still to this day cannot believe the arrogance in that comment because that's exactly the kind of thing that people are rejecting, this, this narrative and this chokehold that the church thinks they have on people's time simply by trying to dictate how they spend their free time. That's no longer gonna work, my friends. And so for those of you who have felt held on to any kind of guilt because you felt like your free time was your free time, please let that go. Please know that your reasoning for leaving church probably had an inkling of something that I said because the data supports that. So, depending on how you got here is irrelevant. Like I said, more than more than more than not, some of you are dealing with some kind of religious trauma, and I hope that some of the things that we've talked about in the past and some of the things I've written about have helped you with some of that religious trauma. Now, we're going to be announcing some workshops and stuff that will be coming up soon, so we'll be able to dive deeper into some of those conversations. But I also want to talk to you about deconstructing some of your beliefs. And that's why this time in the spiritual wilderness can be so important. Because if you were like I am, I was immersed in my faith walk for so long. I was raised Southern Baptist. I navigated through several non-denominational Christian churches. I've been to several um, uh, progressive churches and even into a Pentecostal church. So I had all of these layers of beliefs that even though I rejected church, I still was filtering my, my life through these beliefs. So this spiritual wilderness is a powerful time to start to do that. And that requires you being on your own. Because so many of us are used to having someone at the pulpit tell us what to believe, tell us where to be, tell us how to walk, tell us what to talk about. In the spiritual wilderness, it's just you and the divine. 
and that's the way it was always supposed to be. And that's not saying that we can't be in some kind of community. I'm not knocking that at all. But what it is about is making sure that we are hearing what is for our lives and what no longer serves our highest good. So here we are in this, it can be a very fragile time. I always talk about this gap from the time that people leave church and to where they are now. I consider it this like this spiritual void and you're on this swinging bridge and it can get pretty turbulent. And a lot of people just like, you know what, I don't, I don't want to be on it. And they just give up. They give up any, any hope of reconciling any kind of spiritual walk. And it's easier just to give it up than to try to figure it out on their own because they don't know where to turn. So that has always been what I feel was my calling as people are leaving church. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of leaving, but once you've made the decision, then what do we need to do to help you on your journey? So I'm not trying to talk you to going back in either. So if you do decide blessings on your journey, I just want to help you with that. So here we are in this fragile time, in this spiritual void. And the first thing we want to work on is this deconstruction so that we can see what part of your life you're still filtering through your belief system. Well, what does that look like? Oftentimes when people comment in, on one of my videos and they say, thank you for what you're doing. I have religious trauma. I feel like God is angry with me. I feel like he is angry with me. Okay, so did you catch that God is being referred to as in the male, in the, in the patriarchal. So oftentimes, many of us who have journeyed through this spiritual wilderness, we release God to a genderless identity. We see that even inside the Bible, God was shown in matriarchal form and in many different forms, but we've, we have focused over the years on the patriarchal system because religion has been born out of patriarchal systems. So having religion live strongly inside patriarchal served those systems really well. So the goddess, the beauty of the genderless, descriptionless, God is something that is it, you lose control over the power of it if you can't define it, which is what or who God is. It's it, This is a universal, undefinable love, energy, whatever word you need to give it. But if someone's talking to me and they start with saying he, then that gives me context on uh, framing my response because I'm not going to jar somebody so much to say, well, you know, God's not a he, right? I'm not going to push somebody. That can be jarring. I know there's been several times in my, my deconstruction that I've had those moments of being jarred where I didn't recognize that I was still filtering something through my, through my former belief system but it helps give context. So what kind of books am I going to recommend for this person to start to read as they begin this, this work to deconstruct? So my point of saying that is that where are you on your walk? Are you still filtering, worried about this, this uh, angry, vindictive God because you have navigated through a fear-based theology, but yet something out there is calling you because you do believe in this all-encompassing universal divine love where you lose the patriarchy and you move towards this genderless existence. How do you get here to there? So you feel it, but you don't know how to do it. So where are you in your walk and what is it 
that is no longer serving your highest good. Now, some people will say, well, she says highest good, meaning that she's just wanting this to be convenient for people. I'm not at all. Some of the hardest work I've ever done has been inside this spiritual wilderness. Inside this spiritual wilderness is where I went to seminary. And had I known the personal work that I was going to be doing, the introspective work that I was going to be doing inside seminary, they don't tell you that part. I thought I was going to go learn world religions and come be an ordained interfaith, interspiritual minister and be able to talk very intelligently about and enthusiastically about all the world religions and also outside of religion, how to find spirituality. But the large majority of the work that you do in seminary, at least what I think in a good seminary, is make sure that you are working on yourself. The things that no longer serve you are torn away. And sometimes that is not the focus of religion because those kinds of things actually serve them. If you're not working on your brokenness, then you are looking at someone else to constantly relieve your pain. The pulpit is your healing bomb. So you constantly go back and fo- go back to that instead of looking at what yourself, what are you accountable for, for healing? Because just having to rely on that pulpit doesn't mean that you're turning back to the world in a healed manner to be love, that you crave this love, but are you able to give the love? So you see that quite often when people... I see way too many videos of people talking about their church experiences where they're showing a person raising their hands and praising Jesus on Sunday and then leaving there and going to yell at the cashier at Target because she wasn't speaking English. That's not, that is not a system that's serving your highest good. So that's what I'm talking about. It's a personal responsibility whether you're inside church or not. We are, should be working on this inner vessel. That's where the soul lives. That's how God relates to us. Not through a middle ground of church. It's here. And then we decide how we're going to either connect with community and also connect with our lives. All right, that was a side, a soapbox there, but somebody needed to hear that. Maybe it was me. I want to shift gears real quickly. And I want to read a poem to you, or at least part of one. And I know some of you are going to recognize the author, but I'm going to read it. Here it goes. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other, they don't make any sense. Do you know who that is? That's Rumi. R-U-M-I. So if you don't know who that is, that's okay, beloved. You're in the spiritual wilderness. These are things that you'll be able to bring with you. But look up Rumi. He was a mystical, aesthetic Islam. He lived a studier of Islam. He was, he was a Muslim. He lived in the 13th century. And his writings are divine. And there are so many of them, but he was part, being a mystic often means that you're part of an aesthetic branch of a religion. And so aesthetic just means that you you abstain from all worldly pleasures and you also abstain from like the corporate religion oftentimes. And all religions have some form of an aesthetic life. So in Islam, the Sufis, the, uh, the, the branch is called Sufism, and that's what Rumi was. Sufism, S-U-F-I-S-M. So he was part of that branch. And so they would go off and live this life and often lived in this kind of, he would seek an, a euphoric state 
And that is where these poems, these writings came from. But you can enter in to, I don't want to just make it about religion, because you can enter into these euphoric states of existence without religion. Religion is not a requirement. Again, religion was about community be in a container. There is not a requirement. Religion does not own God. Religion does not own the divine experience. This can happen with you in the wilderness, and it can happen with you in your life, setting a spiritual practice and setting a yourself on a spiritual journey that's feeding your soul. You can find it. So as as Rumi said, in this field of wrongdoing and right doing, Rumi said, I'll meet you there. Do you get that? What Rumi was saying is that that field is, a, is above what we see in the physical, how we view life in the physical, the right, the wrong, the black, the white, the up, the down, all of those things that we put value and that become biases and that become prejudices and that become phobias about how we judge other people. This field of wrongdoing and right doing, he, Rumi was inviting us there because this existence transcends our understanding, transcends our, our awareness because it's where God is. It's with where the holy is, the sacred is. And it's not just any field. It's the divine, holy, sacred field. And people find it in different ways. For so many people, time in nature, time in their gardens, time on nature walks, time meditating by the ocean, by water, the sun, the air, nature, this pulse that we have, knowing that what is in us have, have elements of this universal connection. Reverend John Lyonberger writing in Re Renewal in the Wilderness, so he's talking about his spiritual wilderness experience. He, he writes, sometimes there are those wonderful explosive moments of experiencing God, but most of the time it's very, very subtle. It's just the small things that people ignore that being out in an environment like that brings them to an awareness of. It reminds us of who we are, who we are not, and who God is. The Dalai Lama says it in a different way. Silence is the best answer. And Marianne Williamson says it this way. The spiritual journey is the unlearning of fear and the acceptance of love. So you're moving above explanation to just is. Where can we find that field? Where can we start to move so that we don't keep looking for rules and guidance and how-tos about our spiritual journey? How can we find that field that's beyond wrongdoing and right-doing? How can that, what is that container for you? Now, I know that can feel weird because for so many of us, we hold this this longing for tribalism and tribalism just means it's a it's a it's where we become we, we want to feel like we belong number one and then once we're there depending on how they nurture how we're nurtured and seen we become either very loyal and defensive or we can become part of a trusting network that's actually expanding our ability to show up compassionately and lovingly so we want to be really careful about how we show up in these tribal communities, but it can only happen once we have gone through and navigated through our own spiritual wilderness. Because if we give our spirituality to someone else and it's their responsibility 
then we check off. We just check out. We're off the hook. It looks like just getting in your car on Sunday and, quote, check off doing church. Come home and you don't think about it for the rest of the week. That's how, That's what that looks like. And it doesn't mean that everybody goes to church is that way at all. I always feel like I have to qualify it because so, I'm still going to get somebody to say, well, not all church. I know that. I'm not talking to anybody who's being defensive about that. I'm talking to the person who's looking for some kind of spiritual experience and who understands that what they had was not serving them. It was not feeding their highest good. It was not containing, helping them nourish their soul to be this physical vessel to hold the God experience. So Rumi advises us not to go back to sleep because we do not need tribal leaders telling us how to think, who to love, what to believe, etc. So here's what Rumi says. The breezes at dawn have secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Beloved, don't give your spirituality, even if it feels off, to someone else to handle for you. This field of unknowing, this field with no answers, where the phrase each other doesn't work, it was always meant to be between you and God. For you see in the end, it was always supposed to be between you and God. That's from a poem that Mother, that's credited to Mother Teresa. We know that she didn't write it, but this experience was always meant to be between you and God. It was never between us and them. So oftentimes you can find this also described as the dark night of the soul. And I'm going to give you some recommendations in a few minutes about this, but the dark night of the soul can feel very lonely. But oftentimes this is exactly where you need to be. Now, this is a different experience that is that happens from a tragedy or a life crisis or some kind of illness. Yes, those are those are also dark nights of the soul. But the dark nights of the soul is a reconciliation of your spirituality with God. And I want you to start to feel safe here. Yes, there are any of us on this journey with you, but I would be irresponsible if I sat here and told you that I have all the answers for you, beloved. I do not. And you should be happy for that because that is where you will find your greatest potential to find your God experience, to find your divine experience. Are you starting to see this profound opportunity when you start to deconstruct? When you start to heal, when you start to take personal accountability for your soul work. In this space where those beliefs recited, where the hurt recited, we go back to what the Dalai Lama said, silence is the best answer. Because things can start to peel away so that love can arrive. So now, how do we find this space? Where, what would I recommend for you? Well, the first thing I always, let's start with deconstruction. So deconstruction might look like, uh, reading Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible? You can find these recommendations of these books on RevCarla.com. I can also li link them in the show notes. Rachel Held Evans' Searching for Sunday is a good one. And Adya Shanti's Resurrecting Jesus. If you're looking for healing from religious trauma, first of all, it's really important to figure out how it's impacting your life. If you know you can look at your life and you know immediately that it is inhibiting you on how you're addressing life, 
then you need to look for mental therapy, a licensed therapist who can help you, not just not just someone who went to Bible college and his has got is pretending to be a counselor. We're talking about a licensed therapist who can help you. Now, are there spiritual practitioners and spiritual care providers and spiritual counselors? Absolutely. But start with a licensed therapist so that if you know that this is impacting you in some way, get that diagnosis, get whatever treatment. Mental mental therapy is sacred therapy. So many of us that are deconstructing from that belief who felt like we had some kind of spiritual weakness if we needed mental health, that's nonsense. That's fear-based theology that is part of your deconstruction. But spiritual counselor, if you need help with that, please email us at info at revcarla.com. We have uh, we have some people who can help you with that. So figure out how that trauma is impacting you. I would also invite you to look at, as you look through this spiritual wilderness, once you've done those other things, the deconstruction, how religious trauma is impacting you, then it's time to start looking at your spiritual wilderness. I would recommend Mirabai Star. Mirabai, M-I-R-A-B-A-I star. We'll put a link in the show notes. Dark Night of the Soul. Also study the Christian mystics. If you Google that, you can also get a book, I believe it's by Matthew Fox, called The Christian Mystics. But there is just little snippets of their writings. Once you go a little deeper, just Google, Google Christian mystics. We'll do a podcast on the Christian mystics so we can learn more about them. But you certainly want to read Thomas Merton as the one is coming to mind for me right now. Um, mystics outside of our, your religious tradition. So most of you are coming from uh, Christianity, even though now we're starting to hear from people who are suffering from religious trauma from other religious traditions. And we hear you and we see you. So just know that we also understand that religious trauma exists in other religions as well. Look at Gandhi. Look at his autobiography. Read about Gandhi. Read about the Dalai Lama. Read about the Buddha. Buddha. Read about Martin Luther. And yes, read about Martin Luther King Jr., but I'm talking about Martin Luther, who is considered the patriarch of Protestantism. Read about Joan of Arc, who's considered one of the one of the big Christian mystics because of her visions and her conviction to go forth, even though it ended up costing her life. Read about world religions, but also non-religions, because we're not talking about all just re- this as being a religious experience. But sometimes when you read about world religions, you start to de- do another level of deconstruction when you see how people are seeking the God experience outside of your tradition. Read about pagan traditions. Read about what it looks like to honor the spring equinox. That's what's coming up soon. The summer solstice. Just read about those things so that you can connect with nature in some way. Make sure you're journaling all of this, beloved. Any experience that you're having, especially spend time with your dreams. I do believe that dreams are a sacred portal into our soul work. So please spend time with those. If you want a reference for a dream practitioner, please email us at info at revcarla.com and say that you want that reference. A book by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Can Transform the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. Whatever it is, release your rule book of God. No, beloved, this spirit, this is the spiritual wilderness, the way it was always supposed to be. It's about God being revealed to you. I hope that that starts to help settle something in you. And after hearing all of this, you feel a little bit more comforted that you are not the only one here. We're running along each side, each other. We're walking towards that sacred path together, but it is your path. Don't go back to sleep. Meet me in this field where each other, each other doesn't make sense. This wrong doing and right doing all fall away. 
Let's meet each other there. There's only us. We are one. And blessed be and amen. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved. Have a great week. I'll see you soon. Bye for now. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. To have your question featured on an episode, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. And as always, follow at RevCarla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now.